This summer, we have been going through this sermon series called Encounters with Jesus in the Gospel of John. And throughout this series, we have been able to draw uh, parallels from Jesus' encounters with these different individuals in John's Gospel to our own lives. Uh, We've seen ourselves in the shoes of Nicodemus, who was told that he must be born again. Uh, We identified with the spiritual thirst of the woman at the well who was offered Jesus living water. Or we thought of ways that we are like that blind man whom Jesus gave sight to in John 9. But the encounter that we're going to look at today might seem a little bit more challenging to identify with at first. Because the person that Jesus encounters in today's text is dead. Last Sunday, we looked at the beginning of John 11, where Jesus encounters Mary and Martha, uh, the sisters of a man named Lazarus, who had died. And we saw uh, last week how Jesus encountered them in their disappointment, in their grief over their brother's death. Um, Today, we're going to be picking up where we left off last week, still in John 11. Um, And today, we're going to look at Jesus' encounter with the dead Lazarus himself. Uh, So my sermon title today is Raising the Dead. And as we look at how Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, we're going to see that Jesus does want to do something similar in our lives as well. So our text uh, today is John chapter 11, uh, verses 38 through 44. And we'll have uh, the verses on the screen. Uh, You can follow along in your Bibles. So John chapter 11, beginning with verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Let's pray. Lord, as we hear your word, this, this powerful um, account of Jesus, your, your power to raise the dead, to raise Lazarus, we pray that you would speak with power today to our hearts, God, um, to, to how you are wanting to raise us, Lord, and uh, what you're wanting to do through your powerful word this morning in our lives. So give us ears to hear and uh, speak, Lord. Um, Invite us, uh, Lord, to to hear and be changed by your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look at this encounter between Jesus and Lazarus, I want to start by thinking about how we are like Lazarus and our need to be raised from the dead. Um, how are we like Lazarus? Why, do we, why might we need to be raised from the dead? Well, many people, I think, can identify with 
the metaphor of death, sometimes when it applies to different situations, people sometimes talk about feeling dead inside to describe uh, feeling depressed or lacking purpose or having a lack of emotion. Uh, We sometimes talk about the death of a relationship or the death of a dream. Um, But in a lot of these examples that we use kind of the metaphorical language of death, um, we often have the idea, though, that still we can kind of do something to turn things around. I'm feeling kind of dead inside, but maybe if I can just kind of change my thinking, then maybe I can start to, to feel better or, or this relationship feels like it's dead, but maybe there's a way to, to rescue it. But when we come to today's text, we are confronted with what death really means. For Lazarus, there is no doing anything except stinking. In verse 39, we read, Take away the stone, Jesus said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. For everyone gathered at that tomb, the story of Lazarus was over. Period. That's it. All he was at this point was a decomposing, stinking corpse, which had been lying in a tomb for four days. Dead people can't do anything. And that's how the Bible describes our natural spiritual state. In Ephesians 2.1, the Apostle Paul says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. We might think, wait a minute, Paul, don't you mean that we're, we're on our way to spiritual death? or in danger of spiritual death because of our sins? I mean, we can still do something to avoid that result, right? Nope. You were dead. We're talking about stinking, lying in the tomb for four days, decomposing corpse, kind of dead. I think for most people, this idea really grates against us. We want to think of ourselves as being in control of our own lives. We want to be able to do something to affect our future, including our spiritual future. But to be dead means that we are unable to act, that we are completely passive, and we can only be acted upon. And we don't like that. Why would the Bible say that we are not just spiritually dying, but that we we are already spiritually dead? Well, ironically, what I just described is the way that that many of us react to the idea of being spiritually dead, that we resist that. We don't like, I'm not really completely dead, right? That actually is evidence that we are spiritually dead. Let me explain. When God created humanity, he created us as spiritually alive. But that life came from being connected to him and following him as our loving father. He created us to live this this life, a spiritual life in him and following him. But those first humans, Adam and Eve, decided to go their own way, apart from their father. They wanted to be in control and in charge of their own destiny. Ultimately, they wanted to be God. And so they rebelled against the one true God and they tried to put themselves in his place. So they disconnected themselves from the source of their spiritual life. And therefore, they became spiritually dead. 
And that spiritual death, that rebellious spirit has been passed down to every human being ever since then. We are born with this desire to rule our own lives apart from God. Um, I've said this many times before, but I just, I can't help but see this constantly in my own children, um, that they want to rule. Um, Lucas, he always wants to be the first person down the stairs. He wants me to wait at the top so that he can win. Daddy, you stay up there. I'm going down first. He wants to be in charge. Um, Sophia, she will point to whatever, what she wants, and she will scream and cry if you don't give her that thing. If you try to give her something, well, what about this? No, I'm in charge, Daddy. I want that. Kids, by nature, want to be in charge. But it's not just my kids. I have a certain idea of how I want my life to go. And I want God to get on board with my plan. If things take a different turn, I get frustrated because God didn't follow my direction. And as hard as I may try to submit myself fully to God, to always follow his directions rather than expect him to follow mine, I find myself trying to take control of things again and again and again. I am unable to free myself from this tendency of trying to rule my own life, of trying to be God. On my own, I am stuck in my sin. Spiritually, I am dead, lying in the grave, stinking. I can't get out of the tomb on my own. And my resistance to the idea that I am spiritually dead is just another way of trying to be in control, of thinking that I can fix things, that I can somehow turn my life around. I want to be my own savior, which is once again, rebellion against God, putting myself in his place. So my only hope of things being any different from this is for someone else to be my savior. For someone else to give me new life, to free me from being stuck in that tomb of my rebellion. I can't do anything. I'm dead. I need someone else to raise me from the dead. And that's exactly what Jesus has the power to do. It's what he does with Lazarus. It's what he can do with us. So let's look at how Jesus raises the dead. The first thing that we see in our text is that Jesus mediates between us and the Father in order to raise us. We see this in verses 41 to 42, where Jesus prays to his Father. He prays uh, this. This is what we read in verses 41 to 42. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus prays to the Father to show that what he's about to do is coming from God, from the Father. His actual prayer here is he, he thanks God for hearing him, which kind of assumes that Jesus has asked the Father for something, right? Father, thank you for hearing me. That he has asked the Father to raise Lazarus from the dead. And so this action of Jesus going to the Father on behalf of the dead Lazarus is an act of being a mediator. Jesus mediates between the Father and Lazarus. He bridges the gap between the resurrection life of God 
and the dead, lifeless body of Lazarus. He puts himself in between. Father, bring your life into this dead body, right? He is the mediator communicating that. And this is exactly what Jesus does in order to raise us from our spiritual death. Um, 1 Timothy 2, verses 5 and 6 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. Earlier I mentioned that humanity, all of us, we were originally created as being spiritually alive. And that life came from being connected to the source of life, God the Father. Our spiritual death came when Adam and Eve rebelled and disconnected themselves from the Father. And all of us remain spiritually dead as long as we are separated from God. Uh, Think of, here's an illustration, think of a lamp that's plugged into a socket in the wall. The only reason that that lamp shines is because it's connected to the power from the wall socket. The moment the lamp gets unplugged, the light goes out. It's dead. And so the only way to get the light to come back on is if someone plugs it back into the socket. The only way that we can be raised from the dead is to be reconnected to the source, to the Father, who is the source of life. We can't connect ourselves back to him because we're dead. A lamp can't connect itself back into the socket. It needs someone else to do it. Our only hope is for someone else to be that mediator between us and the Father, to be the one who bridges the gap and reconnects us to him, to plug us back in to the source of life. And that mediator is Jesus. And the way that Jesus has mediated between us and the Father is through his death on the cross. As those verses in 1 Timothy 2 said, Jesus gave himself as a ransom for all people. Our rebellion deserves death. We deserve to be separated from him. We deserve to be disconnected because we have rebelled and we are born into that rebellion that that we have from our ancestors. When Jesus died on the cross, he was then taking what we deserve upon himself. He died so that we don't have to stay dead. He was separated from the Father so that we could be reconnected. He took our place so that we could then be brought back to our Father. So Jesus has done everything necessary in order for us to be raised. He's done it all, right? He has, he's, he's the mediator. He's, he's created the path for us to be reconnected to the Father. So the question is then, if he's done everything to, to make it possible, how does that actually happen? How does he actually raise us from the dead? And the next thing we see in our text is that Jesus raises us to new life through the power of his word. As Jesus prays to the Father, after Jesus prays to the Father, um, in verse 43, we read, When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. Jesus raised Lazarus through the power of his word. He spoke, and Lazarus was raised. It's significant that that at the very beginning of this gospel, of John's gospel, John identifies Jesus as the Word. Um, John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The identity of who Jesus is, is the Word. Um, Earlier in that same chapter, John says that the same Word was in the beginning, and through him all things were made. If you go back to Genesis 1, how does God create? He speaks creation into existence. Let there be light, 
and there was light. And the same God who originally created life through the power of his word is also able to create new resurrected life through that same word. Jesus calls in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man comes out. There is power in his word to raise the dead. And the same is true for how Jesus raises us from spiritual death. He does it through the power of his word. The same God who spoke creation into existence, who spoke new life into Lazarus' dead body, also speaks new life into us as we hear the powerful word of God. The Bible is not just a book about God. It's not just a book about God raising us from spiritual death to life. The Bible is actually the means through which God raises us from death to life. As we hear the gospel proclaimed to us, God creates faith in our hearts through his powerful word, and that faith then receives the resurrection life that Jesus has accomplished for us through his death and resurrection. The word is the way that God brings that to us as he alivens our hearts, as he wakes us up to receive that through faith. Um, in, in a book, I was, I was reading part of this past week, a book called When God Interrupts, uh, the author Craig Barnes tells the story of a man named Tom who was raised in a Christian home, went to a Christian college. Um, he worked as a youth director at a church for 10 years. And then one day, Tom went in to talk to his supervisor and told him that he was resigning. And when the supervisor asked why, Tom replied, I don't know if I still believe everything I say. I'm no longer certain who God is. And I can't pretend anymore. And so Tom started working at a manufacturing plant. And, and he continued to attend worship services with his wife and kids. But whenever he was there in, in worship, when the congregation would recite the Apostles' Creed together, Tom could never get through that opening line, I believe in God. He just couldn't say it. He was successful in his career, but he found little purpose or meaning in it. Many nights he would come home from work to read literature or philosophy or theology, searching for truth, searching to, to somehow calm his restless heart, but he just couldn't shake his doubts. After moving to a new community, his family began attending a new church. And one Sunday morning, Tom was sitting in the worship service, and the pastor was preaching from John 6, where many of Jesus' followers leave him because they don't understand some of his difficult teachings. They just say, we don't, you know, we don't understand, this is too difficult, so they leave. And then Jesus turns to the 12 and he asks, do you also want to leave? And Peter responds, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. The 12 disciples, they may not have understood Jesus' words any better than the crowd, but they knew there was nowhere else they could go. And as Tom heard this message that morning, he sat in the pew and began to weep. He was exhausted by his tireless search for truth and certainty. But in that moment, he didn't have an intellectual breakthrough. Instead, God's word penetrated his heart, showing him that although he didn't understand everything, where else could he go? Jesus had the words of eternal life for him. And so faith was birthed in his heart. It didn't erase all of his doubts, but he knew that Jesus was the only one who could save him. And not long after, Tom began to say the Apostles' Creed in church again. 
as faith was birthed in his heart. There's power in God's word. Power to give faith to a doubting man, to give spiritual life to someone dead in transgressions and sins, and to reconnect rebellious children like us to our loving Father. It's Jesus' powerful word that raises Lazarus from the dead, and it's Jesus' powerful word that can raise us from spiritual death as well. But there's one last thing that we get a glimpse of at the end of our text today, which is life after being raised. Verse 44 says, The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Lazarus, he's raised to new life. But when he emerges from the tomb, he's still wrapped up in his grave clothes. And Jesus invites those who've just witnessed this miracle to help remove the strips of linen from Lazarus so that he can walk freely. When Jesus raises us to spiritual life, we sometimes still act like we're spiritually dead. We still wear our grave clothes. We, we keep trying to control our own lives instead of submitting to God. We cling to the sins from which Christ has set us free, or we get prideful and start trusting in our own goodness and obedience to the law instead of continually resting in what Christ has done for us. And so there are many times when we need help from our brothers and sisters to take off those grave clothes so that we can walk freely. We need to be reminded that we are no longer dead in our sins, but we've been raised to new life in Christ. So take off the cloths. We're, we're alive. We can walk in that. And the best way to do that for each, each other is to proclaim God's powerful word to each other over and over again. To remind each other that Jesus has mediated between us and the Father. And we've been brought back to him. So we can live in that, in that new relationship with our Father. We get to speak God's powerful words of forgiveness and grace to each other. Reminding us that we have been raised with Christ. This morning, we had the opportunity to partake of communion, which is another gift that God has given us to nourish and strengthen us in our life after being raised. Um, in communion, we, we come to communion acknowledging that we are spiritually dead apart from Christ. We confess our sin. We confess our attempts to control our lives. We confess the sin that deserves death. And then we hear again of how Jesus has mediated between us and the Father through his death on the cross. We hear Jesus' powerful words to us. This is my body, broken for you. This is my blood, shed for you, for the forgiveness of sins. And so as we come to communion, we come knowing that we bring nothing. And we do nothing. But Christ has done it all. And as you hear his word to you, as you, as you receive the bread and the cup given to you. Know that even today, Jesus is able to raise you from the dead, to give you his life, to remove those grave clothes, and to set you free. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are the God of resurrection and that you are the God who can do um, even beyond what we can imagine, Lord. God, that you spoke creation into existence. You spoke this whole world into existence through your powerful word. Jesus, you spoke those powerful words to raise Lazarus from the dead. 
And Lord, you speak your word to us to bring us from death to life. We thank you, God, for the power of your gospel that is able to transform our hearts, Lord, from, from unbelieving, callous, rebellious hearts, Lord, to hearts that are able to receive the gift that you've given to us. And so we invite you, Lord, even today to speak your powerful word to us, Lord, to soften our hearts, to trust you, God, even in the midst of our questions, even in the midst of our doubts, Lord, that we would hold on to that truth that, that where else can we go but to you? You are the one who have the words of eternal life. You are the one who has saved us. You're the one who has mediated between the Father and us to bring us back to life. So we thank you, God, for doing that for us. We pray that as we come to communion, that you would again open our hearts, Lord, and, and open our eyes to see you and your gift of salvation to us, your gift of resurrection life that you're pouring into our lives, Lord, and that that powerful word, that, that resurrection life would, would, would cause us to just tear off those grave clothes, Lord, that we wouldn't go back to living as if we're dead, but that we'd step into life and freedom that you've given us to live as resurrected people, as living people because of Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.